Yes. Do you speak my language? What is your speak, Nantucket? Oh, what do you say? Happy holidays. Are we there? We're in it. We are in it. Hey there, race fans. This is Inside the Whale. Time again. What is up? Before we get started, before we jump right into it, I just wanted to mention on that last episode with Holly Finnegan, uh, give you a little insight to uh, producing a podcast and some of the pitfalls that you can make in producing your own show. Uh, Thought last episode came out great, but I just wanted to say uh, that uh, in doing the process, once I do the podcast and once I put the podcast up for all of you to hear it, uh, there's like two jobs. There's the act of actually sitting down and having the conversation with someone, and then there's the act of uh, editing it, and then I have to put it out there on all the social media platforms. And one of uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is having to do all the copy and uh, make all the social media blasts. And I was very embarrassed with the Holly Finnegan uh, episode because after I put it out, Holly sent me a really nice email, and uh, in the email, she noted that uh, I had forgotten the E in Nantucket, so here I was, excited to get the episode out, and I put it out there, and all of a sudden, I look at it, and I left the E out of Nantucket on the uh, SoundCloud page where most of you listen to this podcast. Uh, Probably in iTunes, you probably didn't see it, but on SoundCloud, which most of you listen to the podcast through, I spelled Nantucket wrong. And I'll be damned. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. You know? Look, I'm a shitty proofreader. But uh, my defense is, you know, I have uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all these different things that I have to be diligent about making sure my copy is perfect. And uh, I wasn't great at it in college. I'm, I'm an idea guy. The nuts and bolts is the, uh, you know, if I had a real production team here, we'd have a copy editor taking care of it. But uh, it just was kind of funny. Holly was like, oh, great. Love doing it. Uh, By the way, I think you uh, are missing an E in Nantucket. I'm the guy that leaves out the E in Nantucket. Dope. And uh, even more embarrassing is, you know, here Holly is the, you know, social media media wizard. And that's her job. (laughs) I felt stupid. I felt dumb. But uh, hey, you know what? These are things that take time, and I can always get better. We can all get better at these things. And uh, I see misspellings all the time and, and publications, but uh, that's no reason. That's, I'm just making excuses for myself, Doug. God. Anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know I apologize for sometimes if you see misspellings or poor punctuation. It's just the lack of me and the scope of producing this thing. It takes a lot of time and energy, and uh, I need to get better as a proofreader. Well, that being said, folks, how are you, Nantucket? Are you doing good? Have you done your holiday shopping? I hope this podcast finds you well. I'm doing well. I'm feeling in shape. I've been working out. I joined the Westmore Club. God, that place is amazing. Have you been over to the Westmore Club? I did the seasonal membership, and I got to say it's worth every penny. This is my third season I joined. And, uh, you know, it's expensive, but it is so worth it. God, I love it. You know, it's really a chance to feel like uh, you're part of the super wealthy. You know, you go over there, you walk around the uh, locker room. You have robes. God, it's beautiful. There's nothing better than, you know, going and taking the steam, doing the sauna, 
maybe go up and do a Stairmaster for a little. Or you can just do uh, the fat man's workout, you know? You go to the gym, you walk right past all the exercise equipment, you go right into the sauna and get your steam on, and jacuzzi. Some of you call it, I think, the California workout. But I tell you, you're going to need it after all these holiday parties. There's nothing better than going down and sweating it out. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you guys pour water in the sauna? I had a little incident uh, over at the Westmore. I love it, man. I love to crank that thing up and get it heated so I'm sweating. I'm into it. And uh, someone put a bucket in the sauna, so I took the bucket and I went out and was filling it up. And this old Monty Burns type guy, I think he must have been a a year-round member of the Westmore. And he said, excuse me, sir, man, what are you doing with that bucket? Do you mind if I ask? And, uh, you know, I laughed. Was like, uh, well, I'm just uh, I'm drinking out of it, sir. So Monty Burns says, "Excuse me again, sir. What now? What are you doing with that bucket? Now I don't want to be, uh, you know, you're not supposed to bring the bucket of water there in that sun." And I was like, "Well, what do you mean? I, I just kind of played dumb, and you know, I can be a dick, but I don't like to be." And you know, he, I knew what he was asking. He was basically telling me not to bring the bucket in because it's illegal. But. Uh, I uh, I did not engage in an argument with the old man. I said, oh, I'm just going to drink out of it and kept walking. And he was persistent on stopping me from bringing the bucket into the sauna. And I said, all right, fine. You win, sir. You win on this one. So being the loser that I am later on that day, uh, I looked it up. And, you know, you can actually, you can put water on those heaters in a sauna. That's why there's rocks on them. But it's a liability because it produces steam and you can get burns. They don't like you to do it, but you can. So I say heat it up and let's sweat. Yeah. Anyway, get over to the Westmore. Join it. You're going to want it in January. Anyway, folks, are you guys doing good? I digress here in this holiday season. Well, winter is coming. It's a cold one today when I'm recording this. God, with a windshield, it's like 28. And uh, it's whiskey weather. And that being said, speaking of whiskey, did you like that transition? Seamless. See, folks, I am a professional. I'm attempting professionalism because it is whiskey season. My guest today is none other than master brewer Randy Hudson of the Cisco Brewers Distillery. You know, I've known Randy for a while, and I've been bugging him to get him on the podcast, but uh, he was a little reluctant, I think, because Randy is, uh, you know, he's not one of those guys that likes to put a lot out there. You know, he's a behind-the-scenes guy, and he likes to be there. But uh, I was bugging him, and finally, I got him to do it. And I was honored that he uh, he decided to sit down and talk. And our conversation started out with something that was important. Randy and I both have suffered these two uh, sort of autoimmune issues. Now, if you're not into health stuff, you may not give a crap about this stuff. But to me, it was important. And uh, Randy and I had a conversation about uh, how important uh, gut health is in your immune system. I thought that would be interesting to share because maybe some of you out there have similar issues. And if you don't, well, maybe you can learn something. I don't know. But uh, you'll hear the conversation started out with us talking about how important it is to have a healthy gut. Keep that gut healthy, and uh, then we went into some other stuff. Randy's past and his his journey as a journey into becoming a master brewer. And it was really exciting to talk to him, and he, he is certainly a passionate guy and, and someone that uh, you know he's a master of his craft. He's a true craftsman of the whiskey, and he's ours. And he's on this island, and he's the nicest guy around. And I'm happy to call him a friend. 
So that being said, folks, let's do it. Let's talk to Randy. Let's hear our conversation, huh? You guys ready to do this? You ready to jump in? Because I am. Take a listen. Let's do it. Let's go. Inside the world. Now he might win. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. Rise. He rises! Just make sure you, you know, you're right there. Perfect. Like um, Nantucket, where punk rockers go to die. <laughs> well, <laughs> in the interim anyway, before they die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it would be, we'd start by the first time. I didn't really know you that well. And I was at your house on new year's and I saw your record collection and I was like, didn't jibe with what you had in mind. Did it? No, I was like, wow. I mean, not many people had, have fear, an original pressing of fear or just any SST. That's not an SST record, but you had a pretty substantial SST collection. So uh, I thought it was like, wow, uh, I should be friends with this guy. <laughs> you haven't come back over. <laughs> we haven't some, started the vinyl club. You got to do the vinyl club for sure. The vinyl club should definitely happen. Mm. But before we get into the Randy Hudson story, I want to talk about the stuff that we were talking about a few days ago because it's been super interesting. And I should preface this uh, all by saying that um, I am not a doctor. <laughs> And nor is Randy Hudson a doctor. Absolutely not. But we are two male human beings that have experienced <laughs> some sort of autoimmune uh, deficiency, we could say, right? Sure. And, and I think it's interesting, and if, if you're listening and you have some sort of uh, arthritis or anything that's connected to the autoimmune thing, I think this could be very interesting. And I, I'm again, I'm just scratching the surface, but we had a conversation, and I thought it was really important to talk about because it's so... It blew my mind, basically. Uh, and what I'm referring to, basically, was this idea that uh, I was listening to a podcast, and they talked about uh, what, what antibiotics do to our immune system. Yeah. You know, we're, doctors are con- constantly over-prescribing antibiotics, or for anything, for colds and stuff. And while it fixes one problem, it creates another and basically, those antibiotics that they're giving us, those Z-packs and all that stuff, completely wipe out stuff in your immune system that is essential to the, the proper functioning of your immune system. So when you look at your lifespan... Scorched earth. Yeah. What was the analogy that you said? Uh, like a developer, when they go in to put in a big building in a, in, a, in a lot, they just scrape all the soil off and nothing else that you want grows back there just weeds so when your immune system is wiped like that when the the bacteria that are resident in your stomach and the rest of your gut are you know erased then the things that grow back are things that you kind of don't want especially if your diet isn't very good right and it is so imperative and the new research that's coming out is showing that you know the diet and stuff and everyone's Everyone that has some sort of autoimmune deficiency or some sort of malfunction, 
uh, their it's their diet is very separate. Some people might be grain, and in your 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 case, it's it's wheat, right? A severe. It's a gluten uh, sensitivity. It isn't diagnosed as celiac, uh, but it is essentially the same thing. They just don't know what the biomarker is. Is you're kind of in the process of figuring that out. They're figuring out how to detect. The the medical world hasn't figured out the biomarker for what this actually is. It's just slightly different biomarker than uh, textbook celiac, but it's the exact same um, set of, of uh, symptoms. When did yours develop? So a little, well, I started to figure it out about 10 years ago, but symptoms were happening for years before that, probably four or five years before that. And I mean, obviously, the irony is: is here you are, you have this gluten allergy, and you're a brewer, Shh. <laughs> which is which is crazy, you know. I mean, yeah, it's. Yeah. But anyway, I, I think that you know what we're talking about is a lot of people suffering from those kind of things, and it just it really is fascinating to me that you know, with in, from where I came from with cancer, and I'm before before I got diagnosed, I was having severe symptoms of psoriatic arthritis. Right. Um, to the point where it was uh, into my heel, and I was walking around New York City with a boot. It was just a really rough year, and I didn't know what was going on. Those I, punk rock boots? <laughs> I wish they were punk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was with the, the guy, spur and the chain. Yeah, I was the guy at the that punk rock show problem. with a crutch and a boot. <laughs> uh, no, I just, I, I, it was a really rough year. But I, I think now I've been doing my own research, probably much like yourself, trying to figure out what what I can do to better myself and, and what we were talking about is really is like the, the health of your gut is, is really the health of your whole system. Your being. Absolutely. Ex- and so I'm, you know, thinking, wow, 70, I didn't, I don't know if people know this, 70% of your immune system is in your intestine, which is crazy. I didn't realize that number either. I might've just I, made that up, but I, it's, I, I uh, like it. <laughs> it, it <laughs> It is. It's a. It's something Here's like a, that. It's like sixty or seventy percent of your immune system is in your like intestine. Here's a number for you: the weight of the resident bacteria in your gut is equivalent to the weight of your brain. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. Literally. Yeah. So, and I guess I guess my point is the importance of people that have arthritis, um, autoimmune, any sort of an autoimmune deficiencies starting to pay attention to you know your gut health i mean right now i do kimchi i do probiotics and what else have i been doing i do a lot of vitamin d what is that vitamin d is more of a mood thing (laughs) keep you even yeah 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 but i don't i know i just i do think it's fascinating i just wonder where you are in your process my pro i i've been completely delved into the uh, the fermented food world for sure um as a matter of fact i'm reading a book called the fermented man right now i will look um, this up. this is the beauty gonna, about the podcast we can just pull up the fermented man we'll f- i think it's derek dellinger the fermented man experience <laughs> it is by derek dellinger there you go derek there's your plug Nice. That'll be $150. <laughs> the Fermented Man. So tell me about it well, briefly. Well, or not just, so briefly. I mean, this, that, 
it really can be brief. It's just about a guy who felt like it was important to not only connect to these historic ways of preserving food, but also uh, explore the health benefits of uh, focusing on a on a diet that is nothing but fermented. And it's a little bit over the top. Nobody eats completely a fermented diet. It, it just well, it's yeah. not realistic. It's unre- it's it's strange. And he admits this, but he learned a lot about how he thinks about food. And I think it, a lot of people could learn about the what, the way that they think about food and how they approach cooking. Cooking actually becomes very very difficult for him. How when, so? Oh, because, well, because yeah. he's fermenting everything. Uh-huh. What what do you cook that's fermented? I mean, you, you can make pizza, which is fermented cheese, fermented dough. But the sauce is never fermented, not usually. So he started doing things like that to make it fully fermented. I would see that that immediately sounds a little extreme. Obviously, yeah. the balance yeah, yeah, yeah. is what you're seeking. Absolutely. So have you noticed a difference though? Like, what have you done that in your diet that's made a difference? Well, for probably the last six, seven, maybe eight years, every single day, I endeavor to eat and feed the people in my family, something that's local, either grown here or killed here, fished here, um, on the island. And so what I'm trying to focus on is resident bacteria. And then I also ferment, you know, locally grown vegetables, things out of my garden, things from Morrison Farm or whatever. Resident bacteria meaning local, like... Yeah, I mean, what grows around here? Um... Keeping it in that... It's got to be different. What you would find here has got to be somewhat different from the bacteria you would experience in Boston, say. Of course. Certain things that are a little more prevalent. I don't know. I'm I'm speculating a little bit. Yeah. But I feel like that's my starting point. Um, Fermented foods, keeping my, my digestion, my digestive system filled with good... Uh bacteria uh, has been just a, a big focus because I know that someday we're gonna we're gonna be looking back on this era and say wow we we fed ourselves we fed our I mean children. we're kind of doing that now that though stuff? I mean when you look at the processed yeah, yeah. foods think of growing up the whole crap we ate the Doritos oh, yeah. and like Cheetos and oh, Coke yeah. and I remember my mom and giving my brothers and I go mother you need to go to Burger King and, and just just wasting on crap you know and it's i think that there's definitely people are much more aware of it mm-hmm. and i think the cool thing which is why i think it's important that we're talking about it, is because people like us that have had some sort of issue there's a lot more information out there and it can be you know th- this podcast i was listening to this morning these two women their lives were completely crippled by like their own personal autoimmune diseases and took this one girl like not or no was it a year and a half to to get her diet dialed into where she started getting her life back so there's people that are like mm-hmm. some serious suffering mm. you know absolutely and I, and I think that uh putting that you know just that that's there's, why i wanted to bring it just blew there's my, a, a huge psychological load for people who are dealing with those things too i mean the the weight in your head of oh i can't go out to dinner because this might be something that's hiding in the food and you know I, I, you just can't 
relax and then you're a burden to the people that you're dining with and the wait staff hates you <laughs> did you you would you get uh, kind of you'd experience uh, some of that being like oh man i don't people try go. to be nice about it but you can tell you're just you're just the asshole who can't eat everything <laughs> oh man that wears on you <laughs> absolutely so of course why would you why would you want to go out to dinner because you're just like i don't want to be the guy that can you tell the chef to make sure <laughs> that this is but right. that's what you have to do you do, or you just live with the consequences. And what are the consequences? What were they for you? you? Wanna, yeah, just gnarly. Oh yeah, that sucks. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, some of it is you wouldn't even think of it as being related to your diet. I was an insomniac. I couldn't sleep. I would wake up every 45 minutes to an hour and a half every single night, and a lot of that completely went away when I started to focus and change my diet. You know, to to avoid the things that were causing my body problems um probably hear that <laughs> i love that yeah the geese i hope that you guys can pick that up <laughs> it's cool it is. <laughs> it is cool i didn't mean to interrupt you for the geese i was done i guess <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I, I do think it's a, it, it is the kind of thing that once you st- once you've gone through it, it is it is kind of socially taxing if you have to always be thinking about it. But um, you know, but why don't you think that it came on later in life for you? That was my question. I was going to ask you because some it's interesting that you know you were a kid, never bothered you, right? Well, I mean, the research that I've done for gluten sensitivity and celiac disease shows that a number of people don't develop the symptoms, their bodies don't reject these things until something traumatic happens in their life. Like uh, you could even trigger it with a lot of stress. Like if you were um, having a child, (laughs) starting a business, moving to an island. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, or, uh, Or infectious disease, you know. I've had several bouts of Lyme disease and that, you know, that itself could cause some of the problems. However, compound that with the earth-scorching uh, antibiotics that have been administered to fight the Lyme disease, which is which is worse, the Lyme effects or, you know, what's... Oh, man, that is a fucking happens. double-edged sword. It absolutely is. And there's a, this is why it is very important that you just talking about it because a lot of people are in these scenarios that have, you know, what is the right path of... Uh, it's a really good action. question. Um, another book that I actually returned to last night that I've been reading for probably five years or so on the fermentation side is The Art of Fermentation by Zan- San- Sander Katz. Um, he's a guy in, I think, Tennessee. He's been diagnosed with uh, uh, AIDS for going on 30 years, and he has he has good drugs but he also has been focused on a life of eating fermented food and preaching that gospel. And he feels like that has been as much a benefit for his longevity with this uh, deadly disease as anything else that he's done medically. Yeah. It's just crazy to me, too, because I, after I heard that thing about the antibiotics and the different, I actually, you can Google, like, the different uh, antibiotics that are used and Z-Packs and stuff, mm-hmm. and you you start to learn how they, what they actually do. And then you think about how many times in your lifetime 
you've been administered antibiotics and you're like, well, wait a second. Could that be a link to some of the issues? Is it the cause? Probably not. I think it's like you said, it's a, you know, a couple different components. Right. Um, However, 20, 22 years ago, 25 years ago, when they were first trying to figure out how to deal with Lyme disease, the way that most people here were starting to feel they needed to go after it was with uh, intravenous daily antibiotic regimen for 30 days. And my wife ended up doing it for 45 days because she wasn't getting better. And it ended up creating... um, what kind of arthritis? Rheumatoid. Uh, it's not. It's like rheumatoid. Reactive arthritis. Reactive. It actually moves from location to location, but mostly in her hands. And that's, I mean, what is worse? She's she's gonna have this for the rest of her life. She has to deal with it. Yeah. Lyme it's... disease probably would be too. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Double, these are double edged. It's it's tough. I remember. I didn't my my psoriatic arthritis is uh it was at the worst but because i think my system was dealing with a another big old, a bigger thing mm-hmm. i think that it was a subsidiary reaction because you can kind of see it like i have a little psoriasis on my head and my joints were it came to me in my feet and my and my hands see my knuckles mm-hmm. it was mild though but actually the one thing that's been really interesting to me in my journey is that since i've moved to nantucket and i feel like my life has for a lot of intense purposes, become more balanced with family. I never thought that that would do that, but it has really made a difference. My arthritis is not even... I think it's partly because I've paid attention to my gut health, mm-hmm. but I also feel like my life has been a lot more balanced out here as far as, as like in New York when I was running around trying to, you know, living in the city, I, I think there were a lot of external things I was stressed about. Right. I mean... It- stands to reason if you're if your brain your it f- controls your body right yeah i mean if it is at a, in a better place if you're calm if you're more balanced like you say yeah wouldn't I've, that help your body it's absolutely and i i was just like wow it's been really interesting so my, my arthritis has been i wouldn't say it's completely gone mm-hmm. but just paying attention to to the gut health you know healthy gut is a healthy life true you know? It's, it's going to be, I'm no, I, I, we're no doctors. We're no doctors. <laughs> we're not experts, but I really do feel like people are going to start paying more attention to food as being the most important medicine for their body. You're not feeding your body. You're feeding the resident bacteria. And if you're feeding the wrong food, you're feeding the wrong bacteria. So it's totally key yeah absolutely key and for some people they're never ever gonna have to worry about that they just they're gonna live their life but you know i think it's well I, preventative is it good to just it can't hurt probably probably but uh some people you know if you don't have an issue you know some people's genetics it's well, so- what is your goal too i mean if someone lives to be 70 75 years old maybe they're happy that's it they're good but if they ate better and they had these great genetics and they paid a little more attention to their gut health and their the rest of their body who knows maybe they live to be 150 do you want to live to be i don't 100? want to but i have since i was 10 years old i've 
I've felt like I was going to live to be 120. Really? Absolutely. And it's I have a very, terrifying <laughs> at this point. I've had this feeling like, I don't know why, when I first came to Nantucket, this is so morbid. I don't know if I should share this, but I remember taking the boat over for the first time and I had this premonition that I'm, I was going to die here. And so I don't know. It's huh. weird, man. I don't know why my brain went there, but I, I never thought that I would. You could take it as as ominous, or you could take it as like a spiritually in, enlightening. I mean, this is your place, then. Yeah, you that's that's what was really here. weird. I, I was like, and I kept on trying to process. Why did I have that thought? Yeah. What about that thought? Why? Why would I even? Where would that thought even come from? Right. Because I was just coming out here for the first time. Right. Huh. So weird. That is weird. I think, I don't know, there's a lot of kinetic energy out here. There's a lot of, I've, I've talked about this before with uh-huh. some people, some people, other guests. <clears throat> but there's just, there's a lot of energy out here. And uh, I don't know, maybe connected to the cosmos. But I've been thinking about like, you know, is it going to be, this is another morbid thought. Is it going to be the hospital bed or is it going to be like, I don't know. It's super weird. Like, is it going to be like, oh, big wave takes me out and then he's gone? I don't know. That's unlikely. I don't know. It's this is a more, but I don't. I just Maybe wondered if you, if you ever do you ever sailing, think, you might worry a little. Do you bit think more. about that kind of stuff? End of life? Not at all. I know because you got to be in the present, right? I don't even know. I don't even think this about conversation it. has gotten so morbid. Jesus, where this, are we this, going? this is such a Debbie Downer. People are like, "Oh my god, I'm, I got to change this." I'm never tuning in to this again. <laughs> this ever. podcast is so depressing. <laughs> well, I don't know. Let's 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 shift gears. Let's go back to Randy Hudson in North Carolina, where you grew up. Chapel Hill, Chapel Hippie. Mom and Dad, what's your old man do? Pop was um, a technician in the blood gas lab in the. Um, UNC Memorial Hospital um, when I was growing up. He has been dead for 10 years. I went out, I go out hunting on his birthday, which is the middle of November. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Pop sent me a buck. (laughs) So Randy just told me that he had caught a buck. Caught. I love that term. I'm told you I'm not a hunter. I don't know. You, 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 what do you slate? You slayed the buck. No. (laughs) You killed a, a buck. I guess, yeah. Do you think it, did you have that thought? Did you think, oh, this is dad sending me something? I did. Actually, before it came, I, I had spent so much time in the woods, I thought, why did I bother coming out? I dragged you out on your birthday, Pop. This is such a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> and then? And then this actually was, um, this was two weeks ago. Okay. His birthday. He sent two deer to me that same day. And I had never shot a deer with a bow, so. Ever? No. Holy shit, that's cool. That just gave me goosebumps, dude. That's that's amazing. (laughs) I know. Isn't that cool? You feel like you can almost feel his presence? I I do all the time, but but that day was pretty strong. Yeah. So your dad grew up in a lab. Uh, Working working in a lab. My dad, he was only in the lab because he could figure shit out. He, He knew how to diagnose problems with machinery he was a mechanic he was a he grew up on a farm he just was a jack of all trades so he was the only person who could keep this really expensive high-tech 
equipment running in this blood gas lab in the ER. Uh, so, what, what mean, is a blood gas lab? What do it, they do? It's like in the ER, you have to do uh, blood sample testing for right, with patients. Right, thing, the thing yeah, that spins around, right? And all that stuff. And he kept all that stuff running. I, I don't know how he figured it out, but he did. And I mean, he did he, that. He wasn't trained for it. Gotcha. He had a GED. He didn't even finish high school. <laughs> <laughs> Give it. They're like, Fred, the Just blood mixers. What's your dad's name? Skip. 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 Skip Hudson. That's yeah. a great name. What's Randy? Who are you named after? Well, I think one of my mom's good friends in high school. Randy. Yeah. And brothers and sisters? Uh, I got a younger brother who, uh, from a my, my pop's second marriage. Gotcha. His name is Eric, and he's turning 40, like, just a few days before Piper turns two. <laughs> Welcome to your 40s. What's, <laughs> where is he? He's in North Carolina now. Gotcha. So how did uh, North Carolina college? College went to um, NC State and went to the School of Design. Um, studied landscape architecture. And then, I know. You're like, what? Yeah, well, I'm just trying to piece it together to, it's a weird... to the alchemist, which is even more interesting about how you get to Nantucket. And... Do you have it's friends out here? It actually is pretty pretty straight standard forward yeah i mean i i met people at school who um, own businesses out here and then um on top of that had heard many many stories from my grandparents about uh the island and the history of the island because two of my grandmothers on my mom's side two of my grandmother's uh relatives were uh, two of the um original nine white settlers of Nantucket. So, so, you so I'm had a descendant of a Nantucket settler, white settler, first white settler. So when did you first get here? What year? 88. And what was that like? I love hearing these stories. 1988 Nantucket, where you're living. What happened? Sorry. Lost you. Wait. <laughs> Do you see that? What technology just did? I know. My I'm phone. Like, my phone banged like, too, and then your phone rang. I know. <laughs> Horrible. Interrupting me. I'm trying to turn it off, and, <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out the button. And Randy, risk. I run a goddamn professional I, podcast here. No, tell me about that, because I always think it's cool all the different things that uh, people's first impressions. 1988 Nantucket. When I first came here, it was the end of August, so. Most of the summer crowds had cleared out. Um, the business that I was working for, a landscape design build firm, had done their big projects and they were sort of on the coast, uh, like a just a smooth sailing regimen at, at that time. So it was pretty relaxed when I got here. Um, but the thing that really uh, endeared the island to me immediately was that first Thanksgiving that I spent here, um, which was just a few months later. And I met so many people that were charitable and open to helping me find my way here. I just realized that there was not going to be any other place that I'd get the opportunity to do 
things and to be helped to do things by random people like was happening to me when I who were some of those people um one of the first was uh like Danny Coleman when she was running the (laughs) um natural food store that was where the lemon press is now on center street Uh, she had a natural food store there and she was managing it for a woman who owned it I ordered a turkey through her, but I was working late and couldn't get there in time to pick up the turkey uh, while, she, while she had open hours. And I, I like, I just asked somebody in the building if they knew how to get in touch. This was pre-cell phone days. Right. They said, call George Murphy or whomever, and, <laughs> you know, finally got to her and she got word to me to just, oh, go look in the uh, freezer down the hallway behind the curtain and pull out a turkey and let me know how much the thing weighs so I can charge you next Monday when I open again. That's cool. There you go. Um, Rob Kayberry was a baker who um, worked at Straight Wharf, and I was trying to make an Indian custard needing cornmeal. Couldn't find it at the Stop and Shop. Go in and ask him if he knows or has any cornmeal he gives me his last little bag you know and says happy thanksgiving people are pretty generous it's just (laughs) little things but you know they meant a lot so and who who was the person that brought you out here was the the friend uh well they didn't bring me they agreed to hire me well so you came out here though you didn't know anyone though right i didn't know anyone except this guy who owned the business uh brian mccreary owned uh Ernst Land Design is still here, um, but I didn't know anyone else. Yeah, that's got, it's, when I first got here, I didn't really know anyone either. I would sit there with my dog in a shack and drink wine. <laughs> Where was your shack? It was out by uh, the, the treatment plant there off of Folger. Was it really a shack? It was a shack, for sure. Cool. And uh, Was that the lowest... You know, it was very, uh, it was interesting. I just remember, it was, it was very, I felt lonely for sure mm-hmm. because I had left New York City, but I got here and I was just sitting, you know, and I, I, I got a job at landscaping, which I had never, it was just such a 180 from my life in New York City that I, to this day, I still don't know where that, that thing that said, oh, you need to change things up. You need to do something different. Like this is Nantucket was my 180. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was a lonely summer because I just remember seeing so many kids like going by, not kids, people having so much fun. I remember being on my bike coming from work and you could just tell people were going, doing fun things. Sure. And I would just sit, I'd make a fire and sit up, which was, you know, in hindsight, it was pretty good. I'm really glad I had that experience to have that. Unplugging, it sounds like. Yeah, for sure. From what you had been. I moved here from a big city too. I was actually in Chicago for a year before I moved here. Doing what? Working in a natural food store (laughs) and landscaping and painting and whatever I could do. It was just, I had never lived in a city, so I went there to experience that. But what was the natural food store called? Food works. Don't you think it's interesting that those natural food stores, you know, back in the eighties were kind of where like the, you know, all the hippies, we'd go get those big 
bulk things of wheat germ and all and they just the that's, smell that's the, what did me in the smell of gluten sensitivity the wheat germ that i <laughs> well yeah well, right though you know like those natural food stores always have a smell to them sure but it's they've kind it's kind of become it's not kind of like in new york those are the norm and a lot of the supermarkets in new york and those these i used to shop at this place called commodities in the east village which is just you know it's a natural food store but the store has just grown and got and they carry really good organic products and it became it it's it's much it's not like it's the mystique of the like funky you know style health stores sort of changed so people have changed <laughs> or at least they've gotten more hip to it it's it's um been, been appropriated by the mainstream a little bit a lot of it so did you like Chicago? I've never been to Chicago. Loved Chicago. It was a very friendly town. You know, it's a, cold as hell, right? Cold as hell and hot as hell. <laughs> really? Yeah. My uh, first big snowstorm there. Uh, we we had just moved into an apartment and didn't have a phone. Um, actually, we lived without a phone for most of that year. Just the way I was. But uh, it was such a huge snowstorm. My dad was so freaked out he actually sent the sheriff one of the sheriffs in chicago can you imagine you call it the sheriff sheriff in chicago go to my son's house he doesn't have a phone i want to make sure he's okay there was like three feet of snow or something so he was really freaked out coming from north carolina and we don't get snow. your dad sounds like a helicopter parent (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't he wasn't though he just just this one time uh, pretty strange I need, I need you to his name is Randy Hudson it freaked me out I made my girlfriend go answer the door because I wasn't going to go talk to the police I have a I, I don't know an aversion <laughs> I, didn't even, I don't oh that's funny so you did a year in Chicago and then was it right to Nantucket yeah yeah so 28 years later it's crazy and uh, in between before the Cisco stuff what were you doing uh, landscaping, um, building stone walls with Neil Patterson, baking at something natural, uh, baking at a place called the Beach Plum, which is now Pie Pizza. Mm. See, I love those are the stories of the Beach Plum. I hear these names. I have no, I have no recollection of any of this, so it's interesting to me. Like I know the certain buildings used to be, uh, like the one that's. Svolia or the restaurant there. Oh, that used to be this. This used to be that. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a Nantucket norm. Everyone's like, I remember when that was Atlanta Cafe. And right. it still sucks. <laughs> 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 that place, that spot is doomed. I don't know. It's just funny. I this these are the things that I cursed. my ears always pick up. I always listen to like people reflect in the diff, different businesses that come yeah. and go. So when did you when did it start? When this, did what start? This, this oh, the brewery. Thing. When did you become master brewer? We'll skip the whole pot. We'll just get. When did you win all your awards for your whiskey? Uh, it's <laughs> last year, <laughs> so it only took twenty-seven years. Yeah. No, well, it, Wendy got me into home brewing in like ninety-two. Um, we opened the brewery ninety-five. Really, we got our license from the feds in ninety-four. Started brewing in ninety-five. What was your first? beer that you made was a lager what was it captain swain's extra stout really yeah 
Nice. I mean, named after my family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Island Swains. Okay. And is the stout that we're drinking today still based on that recipe at all? Yes, for the most part. It has definitely transformed as it's been scaled up. But I think it's fascinating because it's, to me, the a brewer or an alchemist, which is kind of what you are in a sense. I mean, you have to have some science. You have to have some little bit, especially with the whiskey stuff, right? The math, there's some math involved. Well, there's a lot of biology and, and chemistry involved in, in uh, distilling for sure. But and we'll, we should get into that because I'm very curious. No, I think we should because I think it's important. But what else is there? You you have a you have a, a notion. Well, I was well I was thinking. Well, my thought was when you know it's a craft, you know, and, and there's it certainly is one of those things. So that, is there art involved? Absolutely. I think just cooking has been another thing that's been very new to me. Absolutely. Because I didn't cook in New York, and I cook now, and I totally appreciate the craft now of putting together these things and making something. And I, it's uh, it's as much as an art form as painting or, or playing guitar, you know? And I think Amen. Making, ma- making beer, same thing. Amen. So your first I've, beer was the I've, stout. Yeah. And I've always, when I've explained to people who are visiting the brewery, <clears throat> who I end up talking to, I hide. So I don't talk to many people, um, <laughs> but I try to explain to them that, that it is an art that is that is facilitated by science. Yeah, and you kind of got into that. And so ninety two is when you started brewing. Yeah, yeah. Ninety two. I'm trying to think of the. Uh, there was there was a, a real push of craft breweries in, right around in the, then in the, in the right around the nineties. Yeah, and I know this because I worked at Heartland Brewery in Union New, Square. Okay. I may have, you may have served me. And I probably, yeah, I was probably horrible. You're probably <laughs> like, honey, there's something wrong with this waiter. <laughs> Dude, I come by, yeah, I, I waited tables at Union, uh, Union Square Heartland Brewery. The, uh, the brewer at the time was a guy, great guy, if he ever hears this, Jim, Jim Migliorini, who had a winning oatmeal stout. Does that name ring a bell? It's maybe I don't know if he's just, I mean, now the brewers, I mean, I'd be curious to know your opinion where the the microbrewery world now is just out of control. Well, since I'm not drinking beer, I mean, I have sort of a detached opinion of the microbrewery world at this point. I don't really, I own one, but I don't really live it. I don't drink it. I'm the worst spokesman for our beer. (laughs) Clearly. It's almost as if you it don't... It smells really good. <laughs> that's all I can tell you. That's pretty interesting. That's, you you know, it's... it. So when did that evolve? To When did the switch happen? Did from, I stop from, drinking? Yeah, from, from the beer, and then you switch over to whiskey. That correlates with... Does it correlate with your... 2006 is when I started to move more into the distillery. So um, we were actually building the new distillery... Um, the one that exists now at that time. So, um, yeah, that right around there, I, I, we hired a, a brewer to take my place and I was moving over to take over some of the stuff that Dean hated doing in the distillery. So, um, that was, 
It, it was it was weird. I actually started to move over there before I even realized what was going on, why I was feeling bad. Huh. So. And when did uh, when did you th- dumb when, luck? Yeah, right. When did you think that things are like wow, we're onto something here? Was there a time when we first conceived of the notion of starting a distillery? I knew. I mean, it wasn't even a thing, but I knew it was a thing. I knew it would be a thing. I mean, I I knew it with the brewery too. When we started the brewery, I was like very attached to my life of having a uh, a life of Ryan. You know, I would go cohogging or scalloping or hunting or fishing or whatever I felt like doing, berry picking, <laughs> whenever I wanted to, pretty much. Um, because I had started, you know, working for myself, landscape landscaping landscape design but um was worried about the eventual popularity of this this venture and i definitely it played out in my mind do i want to do this do i really want to be because i'm not going to have any free time (laughs) (laughs) and i decided it was just too interesting to not do so, so when did you start actually making the whiskey? What was that process like? I mean, we started making... I was the brewer at the time, but we started making whiskey in 2000. Um, and I, I, Brian Jennings, is he your protege or an assistant? What is he? What's Brian? Brian, what, what is your a, title? I don't like that word. I don't either. Well, I don't know. He works with you. Brian and I work together. Your co-workers. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. We settled he's, that. He's, he's a, a distiller... He's the only brewer we have now at this point. Um, he's doing the the mashing and the he's running the the new still. He's learning to do it all. Is facial hair a prerequisite to work in the craft brewing industry? It's not, but it always helps. <laughs> People just trust a guy with a beard and a trucker hat. You got me. Is that why you're growing out? No, no. I just, I, I was thinking about like, I was like, God, it's, there's like, you know, the craft brewery world and that, that whole distillery world kind of lends itself to facial hair. It's not so much the hair itself. It's the, the devil may care, I guess, uh, yeah. attitude. You know, I didn't shave. Who cares? I don't like to shave either. I hate shaving. It's barbaric. It is. I don't like it, man. I'm that, not. That was a pun. <laughs> it went over my head. Barber, barbaric. Barber, barbaric. Did I, I wish I had a cue. If I had a cue, I wish I had a cue button right here. <laughs> Little sound effects. Um, so tell me about I, the reason I mentioned Brian because he gave me a rough outline of how it's made, how the whiskey is made, and I thought that I didn't know that it was you take the leftovers from the the beer, right? The well, it's not really leftover. It, well, you you mash break grains, it down for in you, layman's You mash terms. grains to with the intent, with the purpose of making whiskey. What kind of grains? It, it doesn't matter. Any, you can make any whiskey from grain. That's um, interesting. I didn't know that. If you make if you make a distilled spirit from grain, it can be classified as whiskey. It can be. It doesn't have to be. It can be distilled at a high 
proof to the point where it disqualifies itself to be called certain types of whiskey. It's very complex. See, and I'm not going to get into this because it's a it freaking is. It, rabbit and I, hole. And this is I, this is why I brought it up. And it is very complex because there's so many different versions of whiskey. Yes. All right. There are. So I was just trying to figure it out in my head. All right. The if basic, it's, the if most it's from prob- grain, it can be called whiskey, but sometimes it's so strong that it would classify, basically qualify as a as a vodka. But you can make it into something called light whiskey or, you know. Right. So you have these sub-genres of whiskey. And obviously right. the two most known whiskeys, you have a bourbon whiskey, yeah. which means it was made from Bourbon County, if I'm wrong. I'm nope. just trying to go over my whiskey facts. That's not. Bourbon County? Nope. I'm wrong. The first bourbon wasn't even made in Bourbon County, actually. Okay. I know. It's... it's just destroying these these uh, yeah preconceived notions <laughs> so set me straight what is it How- bourbon the only thing that uh you have to do in order to call a whiskey bourbon is to make sure that it is brewed from 51 percent corn or more and that it spends time in a brand new oak barrel okay that's it and a Scotch whiskey has to be made in Scotland. In, Only. <laughs> I don't make Scotch whiskey. I know. Well, that's what's going to get to the notch. Right. Your award-winning whiskey, master craftsman. It's a cool title. Come on, dude. Uh, master craftsman. I, I hope that someday someone's like, Doug Cody is a master craftsman. You are a cra- it, of bullshit. You are a master craftsman <laughs> with that Guitar? Are you kidding me? No, Come but on. I would only hope that. I mean, that's a pretty distinguished honor, especially in the world of whiskeys. It, you know, I mean, it's cool. It's it's a really an amazing accomplishment. The difference from between your craft and my craft, though, is that I'm relying on some things that are completely out of my hands. You have to deal with your guitar. You can choose a different guitar. You can choose to play a different style of guitar. You can choose a different type of song, different music. Um, You have to do it all. For me, I'm doing a lot of it, but the bulk of flavor that you end up experiencing from a whiskey comes from the time that it spends in the barrel. Probably 80%, maybe a little less, 75-80%. So... You can choose the right barrels. That helps. That's part of it. I was it. just going to say, so how do you choose the barrels? Where do you get them from? Well, I don't. I, I mean, we ch- from the beginning, we were just choosing barrels that were available. Gotcha. We were a small, we are a small distillery. We don't have a lot of buying power. Not, not just anyone is going to send me five barrels. I was making 10 barrels a year at first. You know, Dean was distilling very few barrels out of there. Um, but we gained a little experience from different barrels and we started to move towards certain types of barrels. Um, some of our favorites were X bourbon from Buffalo trace. Um, but then the micro brewing industry was exploding and people were using those barrels for aging beer. The micro distilling industry was exploding and people were buying those barrels for, for other whiskeys or whatever and a lot of them are actually sent to 
to Scotland. The majority of the ex-bourbon barrels are sent to Scotland. So we were having a hard time even getting the barrels that we wanted. So where do you go to get a barrel? <laughs> There's a, I mean, there are a number of barrel brokers around. Um, like guys that their whole job is they just deal in barrels. Yeah. And these yeah. are manufactured barrels that I'm assuming made out of a certain, a, what does a barrel have to be made out of? What kind of wood is best? Um, well, oak. a couple of different types of oak, but mainly Quercus alba, white oak. Um, Quercus rover is a red or Spanish oak. Um, there are certain subspecies of oak um, that grow in the U.S. Uh, we've gotten chinkapin oak. Um, what was? Do you remember what the oak was for the one the notch? What is? Well, that's you. It's not one one type. Okay, for it's a blend. Type. Yeah, yeah. And and that's so important though, right? The, Absolutely. The, that's the that's really the thing is is the wood, right? Well, I mean that is very important. But what I was getting at with the amount the flavor that's involved in for, coming from a, the time that the whiskey spins in the barrel, it's not just the oak. I mean the oak. Think about when you got on the boat and you came over to Nantucket for the first time and you said, I am going to die here. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was that? I mean, I don't it, know. Was, it was probably somewhat environmental, don't you think? If you're on this boat, out on the deck, and you're breathing the salt air, and you're saying, damn, I feel something. I feel electric. I feel vibrant, and I love this, and maybe, I, maybe it's... I love it so much that it's going to undo me. I don't know. I don't know what was going through your head, but it made something happen. And the reason why is because it's it's very visceral and very fundamental to how you feel physically as a person. The barrels are sitting in this environment on Nantucket with this sea air and this clean, pristine air that is wafting around us constantly and that makes a huge difference in how the whiskey tastes i mean i can't take credit for that <laughs> we make yeah, good it's... whiskey but we have all this help from from the yeah, from a, nature yeah it's a geographical uh a gift <laughs> absolutely i mean some people are smart enough to choose those places because they know that those environments will affect the whiskey we're just dumb lucky we lived here anyway we're not going anywhere any anyway right so making whiskey in this place that actually produces a beautiful whiskey we're just completely fortunate yeah and tell so, me about the the science there's a little bit of the science the chemistry involved there you have to when i was in the distillery there's a lot of it just seemed there there you really had to have a little bit of a chemist background you know well well, Brian has a chemistry background. I was terrible at chemistry. <laughs> um, and I've heard of uh, like the Four Roses distillery, and they have a big sign in the distillery that says, no chemists. <laughs> <laughs> there is chemistry involved, but I think what is if the you process? focus what is the on the process? chemistry, then you're missing a lot of the point. And that's to appreciate the art and appreciate the beauty. Um, the chemistry that's happening while the whiskey rests in barrels is mainly, well, there's a lot and a lot that I don't actually know. Um, I just, I just know that utilize it. This, is it the same for beer? Like the, the alcohol gets produced when the sugar eats the, when the, uh, bacteria that, eats the, and shits out the alcohol. 
that's happening in the mash, uh, in the fermenters, the washbacks. Okay. There's sugar that's being consumed by yeast and then a little bit of lactobacillus, which is good for our bodies, as we know. Yeah. Um, and that is finished in the washback. It, it's then distilled, and what goes into the barrel doesn't have any of that activity. It's more uh, oxidation reactions. Um, there are esters being formed uh, combined with alcohols and esterification of alcohols, and there's uh, phenolics and tannins and stuff being extracted from wood, and um, those are being oxidized further by time in the barrel. Those things are still being unlocked the mysteries of those things are still being understood by the industry and i i delve in sometimes and i get lost in the chemistry and just sort of eyes glaze is it your contention that it's almost better to 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 maybe not worry so much about that and just for now for me definitely i know my limitations chemistry is definitely a, a, a threshold that i I have a hard time stepping over, so I just try to focus on what works, what I think is good, and and utilize those those things the best I can. When you won the award, right for and you keep saying you, but remember it's Nantucket. Nantucket won the award. Right. Sorry, <laughs> you. What a nitpicker you are. This is my podcast. God damn it, Randy. <laughs> you actually pointed at me. Uh, I was gonna say I was. What are some of the attributes that the, that the people noted? Like, they're like, this has the best flavor. It's oh, like, what about it that particular year that you want it? Nantucket won it. Good I keep question. Saying you. What are some of the attributes? Like, what do they say? Like, oh, this is, this is so distinctive. What was the distinction that made it a winning? I wasn't there. I don't know. What did they um, tell you? They didn't say much. They just said, this is the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, that clears it um, up. I really don't know. I think um, for uh, what we're what we're trying to do when we make anything at the brewery, the winery, or the distillery is to achieve some sort of balance. I mean, there's some places that focus on super, super, super hoppy or super, super, super alcoholic or mega, mega roasty stout or whatever, but we try to. try to bring elements together in something that is balanced and beautiful and I do that with the whiskey I've taken that mentality from the brewery gone to the distillery and when we put together barrels we use a range of different types of barrel um, from both uh, ex-wine cask to ex-bourbon cask to uh, ex-sherry cask and combine the attributes of those different things to make something that's got more dimension than you could have had from any of the single it's like a one plus one plus one equals four yeah yeah kind of it's, it's it's that's trial and error, magic really. huh yeah it's it is tri- i mean there's error. definitely a lot of trials we take samples from barrels we do test blending um, and we go through as many permutations as our brains can possibly handle and taste and get an idea of what we think is going to be the best or what we like the most. Actually, what you think, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
right? Just kidding. Oh. No, we're we're hoping that you're the consumer is going to come along for the ride with us. But it really well, it clearly is. has. I mean, what's a bottle of notch go for? Um, it's a little expensive right now. We're working on that too. But I mean, there's we're a demand more. for it. You yes. know, there's stories of people flying. I've heard this story. I don't know if this is true. Someone flew an assistant from New York. Some someone flew someone out there, drove to the brewery to buy a case or something like that, and then flew back to New York. No doubt it happens. So you know what? What a high five! You know, it's that would be like in my world, just like someone getting a nod from a band I love, like to come open for them or something. Like having that kind of success is is exciting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're producing I, a product that people... I'm a little cynical, though. Somebody flying from New York can afford to come to Nantucket. Whatever. I mean, when somebody I mean, like... F- oh, fuck that. I mean, whatever, <laughs> dude. People are... people are like, that. Who cares what their their deal is? The fact that they're doing that, that extreme to come out and get it. I understand it, what you're getting at. It is a little ostentatious. Yes. But... If you created a product, I'd be like, fuck yeah, man. People love, you know, people love the whiskey. I know. I'm, you know, it's a I great feel problem for man. sure. You know, I feel fortunate. It's, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's got to be amazing. You got to feel it. Do you ever have moments where you're like, wow, that's, I'm really happy with this? All the time. I definitely think, man. <laughs> or is I- it the kind of thing you're like, I need to make it better. It can be better. It can be better. Oh, be it's, it's always going to be that. How I mean, the pressure of having to live up to that award two years ago is—it's a little daunting. Uh, it almost puts me in to a state of apoplexy. Because people are watching like, now, right? Yeah, they're expecting great to come out, and I'm not sure if this is great or not. It's so like a first band. Maybe I won't buy their one. first record. Strokes, <laughs> Strokes' first record's amazing. Then their second ever. A lot of pressure on the second record. Bands have to deal with the same yeah, thing. Sure, absolutely. You know, hopefully, you'll just be the Rolling Stones of whiskey. Or uh, not, oh, I shouldn't have said the Rolling Stones. I love the Stones. Morphine. We should have said you'll be the Morphine of whiskey. My favorite '90s band. Which would mean that later on. If you have a heart attack. <laughs> oh, God, we're getting morbid again. Holy shit. Is it a part of being a parent? I, maybe it is. I, uh, that's so, I'm kind of embarrassed that I shared that uh, story, but that was real. About, I had this like morbid sense like, oh, wow, I'm going to die here. It's weird that I shared that. Maybe I'll edit it out. I feel special. <laughs> Opened uh, up to me. Yeah. Well, this is what we're doing here at the kitchen table. <laughs> Inside the whale. Inside if you could live anywhere else, where would you live? That was a question I had. Boy, for you. Where a, have you that's been? That's a tough one. If you wasn't Nantucket, where would Randy Hudson be? Uh, well, I haven't. I feel like I haven't been enough places to decide that. I mean, I got a lot of traveling to do. I really ha- am desperate to go to Japan. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. <laughs> to that was so white. <laughs> <laughs> I am what I am, Randy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would love to go to Japan. I would love to... But live. Like, where would you live? Where have you played? Is there a place you've been to? You'd be like, I could live here. Like, San- I've been to San Francisco. I feel like I'd live in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I feel like I live- felt that way there, for uh, sure. Asheville. Actually, when I... Well, before I moved here, I contemplated moving to Asheville. That's uh, right. That's I funny. Mean, that's where... It's right near um, where some of the... the 
people from my f- grandfather's, my mom's dad's side of the family settled in Weaverville, just north of Asheville. Um, so that was a place that I thought about moving. But when I went out to to uh, San Francisco about 12, 13 years ago, I started looking at schools while I was there because I was so enamored with the place. Of course, you couldn't get anywhere cl- uh, as expensive as Nantucket unless you went there. That is like the second right. most expensive place you could think of trying to find a ha- home or make a living or but it just the the feeling there it wasn't really crowded it wasn't a to, totally dense city there was none of the commercialism not as much it felt like it was a little more homegrown or grassroots or something and i just felt comfortable there that's a that was a yeah i didn't think about that good call let's go <laughs> yeah let's do i know i just sometimes i think about that too i mean i'm obviously here now i'm not going anywhere you're gonna die here i'm, <laughs> I'm Hasht- sorry i didn't mean to hashtag <laughs> you're gonna feel bad if i get hit by a car tomorrow Dude. oh um yeah Asheville is a cool town when mm-hmm. we would go through uh on tour I, there was a an energy about the town that mm-hmm. i was like wow totally. i feel like i could live here and then san francisco definitely not so much la i didn't really jive with LA too much nor did I New York City I did 15 years in New York City it's pretty crazy did you like Brooklyn yeah but at the time I I got like I had a a good deal on an apartment and at the time and by the end most of my friends lived in Brooklyn my studio was our studio was in Brooklyn right but I wouldn't I think I've lost my daughter to Brooklyn yeah (laughs) well it's funny there's another Brooklyn has changed yeah it's been totally re- Gentrified. Rebranded almost, I would say. Yeah. Well, people say Nantucket's changed. Everything changes. Right. That's the only thing that doesn't change. That it won't, it will change. So, do you, with the success of Cisco Brewery, there's, and, there's and been, you shift some gears, don't you? I do. Well, I just, I wanted to ask you about this because. You know, Cisco, when things on Nantucket are successful, uh-huh. people, there's other people that always want to point fingers. I don't know if I want to talk about that. I'm not just, I'm just saying, you know, what I've observed. Mm-hmm. And Cisco certainly has grown into this amazingly successful and thing. And we've for- had some fingers pointed, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and people, you know, and I've, I've kind of witnessed it, you know, having been playing at Cisco for so long and mm-hmm. it's just did you ever think it was going to get this big and become what it's become I told you I worried about it from day one a little bit because it would consume me I, I know it sounds a little crazy to I mean I love that it has become a place that so many like-minded individuals and and total freaks can Make a living and and hell yeah, support one another. <laughs> it's great and create opportunities for more um, interesting businesses to develop from and and freaks to you know come together and. <laughs> but don't you think I had I had this conversation speak uh, with um, Billy Sherry. I had him on the podcast. You know Billy? Uh, yeah, I love. Yeah, Billy. great guy and. I, I was always saying, you know, that as the island continues to change and it gets harder and harder for people like myself who just finagle their way out here somehow and just 
end up out here. Mm-hmm. That 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 sort of idea, those creative spirits and those bohemian type people, will start will be less and less as it gets harder. Do you think that will it's happen? possible? I mean, I think it uh, in the Russell Baker in the New York Times, I think said something to that effect about Nantucket and places like it that people will overwhelm the places and things that they love and hold the most dear in their hearts. They will overwhelm those things. And you can sort of understand it's, it, it does seem to be our, our nature. We want more of it. Um, well, you know what? You just made Brooklyn is a very great example yeah, of that. Yeah. Uh, so it, I worry definitely, you know, what, where do you stop? I mean, Cisco Brewers is, it can't get any much bigger at all <laughs> there. There's no more space. There's no more space. I mean, what do we do? Blow up Dean's house? And <laughs> hey, Dean, we need to move the house. I don't think that's happening. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting that, that finding other people's opinions about where the island is and where it's going and what its future is. And actually, Nathaniel Philbrick, he was on the podcast and he was saying, you know, the island ever since he had been here, the change has happened. It's it's been in the you know seventies. People were bitching about the people that sure. were coming in the eighties, and the, you sure. know it's just always sure. been an island it's kind perpetual. of changing. Yeah, it's perpetual. But so, how do we make it so ex punk rockers can come here to die? <laughs> you may have just snuck in under the window as it closed, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man, I'd be remiss too if we didn't talk about some of our favorite bands because I don't get to do that a lot uh. with someone like yourself we both kind of and i think that some i would probably guess that some of the punk rock background plays into what you do the way i do it yeah i mean you don't go into too many distilleries and see somebody filling barrels listening to the bad brains very often do you (laughs) no i mean maybe Uh, well yeah i don't know have you no i haven't okay I thought you were going to say like Dead Moon or some even like more obscure. Did you ever get into Dead Moon? No, I didn't. All right. Um, what was your top top three records as a kid, punk records? In college, probably... Um, God, that's a, man, I'm not good at choosing like that. I, right. I, I have a terrible time filtering like that. I have my record collection here. Bad Brains, Eye Against Eye. Yeah. Um, uh, geez. Morphine. Well, that was that was that that was after I was out of college and moved here. Um, maybe somebody. I loved LL Cool J's radio. Oh, I don't know. I can't do without my radio. Jeez, man, that, that was amazing. that was amazing. God. That's funny you say that. Bad um. Voice. Fat Boys, I remember the Fat Boys. Fat Boys. Uh, I loved Fishbone, loved Fishbone, but they might not make the top three. Somebody um, more of a of a quirky um, songwriter, somebody like Elvis Costello, maybe um, as top three. God. What about the SST bands? Like I was, I'm trying to look for my hair. It is right here. This is an original. 
Dead Kennedy's Bedtime for Democracy. Wow, that was, I, yeah. And yeah. look, it has the pinholes from where I would hang it up on my wall. I had that. This is the uh, the original original pressing of uh, Dead Kennedy's Bedtime for Democracy. Did you ever see them? I didn't. I just remember that video of them in San Francisco, where the girl pulls up her shirt, and I remember being like, "Whoa!" I remember rew- I got a VHS tape. And I remember rewinding it. Like, oh, this is crazy. Loved the Dead Kennedys. Um, loved the Black Flag. You have, uh, you have Black Flag on vinyl, don't you? Yeah, I've got a few. Damn so it, damn Randy and I have talked about having a vinyl club that we just, I can't, I'd love to do True Sounds it. of Liberty was a great one from back in the day, another SST band. Oh no, no, they were uh, tentacle, alternative tentacles. Um, Wait, what's your connection with um, Flat Duo Jets? You knew Dexter? Yeah, we were high school, um, we were in high school together. I didn't really hang out with uh, Dexter and the like they hung out on the smoking wall <laughs> but you remember him in high sure. school and sure. I remember when I first Absolutely. met you somehow because I Lance Mount was a duo you were like oh, you guys have like a flat duo flat jetsy. duo jets yeah sure and you went to school with him yeah he and his brother crazy right his sister Sarah Romweber was the f- original drummer in um, Let's Active do you remember that band from the 80s no um, the guy who Oh, what was his, the producer's name who did uh, R.E.M.'s records to begin with? Uh, producer of R.E.M. records, 80s, Orange Crush, she, uh, Radio Free in, Europe. I have to say... She I have was to say in a band with that guy. I can't remember his name. Oh, it wasn't Michael. Did the Buck guy did from R.E.M.? No. Did he produce him? No. Mm, no. God. Can't remember. I'm terrible with. Them. Did you see them as a kid? Like, were they playing around? Do you remember seeing REM? No, Flat Duo Jets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw them. I was famous for having fallen asleep at one of his shows. <laughs> really? Would he remember yeah. you? Do you think? Uh, Dexter probably. Not. I don't know. He's a little crazy. They're they're still touring. I think. He's 52. Yeah. How old are you? How old am I? How old uh, are you? I'm just kidding. I'm not asking you. I'll tell you. I'm 42. Really? Yeah, I was born in 1970. I was born in 1974. 64. I'm a Taurus. Aries. Aries. Huh. That's why our chemistry is (laughs) weird. That's why we're morbid. Uh, Well, listen, Randy, we've been talking for it's an hour and change now. Wife pulls in on the bike. It's great timing. What do you think? Did you have fun? Yeah, I'm honored, man. Yeah, I'm I got ga- here I'm- before Donald Trump. <laughs> Did you hear he's buying property in Pulpus? His people were out here. <laughs> it's crazy. I love. That. Yeah, the, the the jets were in here today. I just was like going to start spreading a stupid Nantucket rumor. I like it. Trump's, like Trump's it. buying property in Pulpus. <laughs> that sounds like a punk song. Maybe he'll buy the brewery. Oh, man. Randy Hudson, it's taking you so long to finally do this, but I'm glad we did it. I'm so glad I finally got here. Thanks. All right, that's it. That's a wrap. Hmm. That was a great talk, huh? Randy Hudson. What a man. Father, hunter, and... Master Brewer. Man, that notch is good. Whew. I could go for some whiskey right now. Did you guys enjoy that? I did. Randy, thanks again for coming on. 
gentleman and a scholar that Mr. Hudson he is. Take care of your gut, folks, and probiotics. Take care. I hope that wasn't uh, too boring for you people. Maybe some of you people don't care about that stuff. In the beginning there, talking about uh, gut health. It just it still blows my mind, though, that uh, the more stuff I keep looking on, and that is an internet rabbit hole. Just Google probiotics and, uh, or no, I'm sorry, antibiotics in your immune system, and uh, you'll find a lot of information out there, almost too much, but uh, just live a healthy, balanced life. We're all trying to do it, right? A little whiskey here and there, a little notch. All right, folks, that's it. Episode 43 in the can. As always, thank you guys so much for the click, guys. Inside the Whale podcast for Nantucket by Nantucket. Doug Cody, that's me. If you want to get in touch with me, shoot me an email. Follow me on Instagram. Send me a message on Facebook. Point out my misspellings and all my grammatical errors, all my typos. Do whatever you want. Just enjoy it. Go out there, get your shopping done. I'm taking off next week to go visit my family up in Syracuse. like to do the uh, holiday travel before, before the masses do it. So, with that being said, man, let's let Sandman and Morphine take us out. This one's for you, Randy. Turn it up. Turn it up.